So Lord, we ask that you would work as you want to work. I pray that you would convict us of our hesitancy or our resistance. I pray that you would convict us in ways that we are are tempted to dismiss or excuse ourselves. Out of your love for us, God, out of your love, as you did with the Apostle Paul, who was going his own way, didn't even grasp what he was doing. Would you arrest us just as powerfully? So whatever it takes, God, for you to get us where you want us to be for your purposes so that we will be your church, we will be your people, we will be your salt and your light and your aroma in this world. So do whatever you want, Lord. I pray that you would very specifically lead each one of us how you want us to participate. Tell us. Help us to hear you. And then help us to have the courage and the faith to obey. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles to Philippians. Anybody need a Bible? Need a Bible up here? Anybody else? Philippians. It's where we've been studying for 18 weeks. First three chapters have been a lot about theology and teaching us what it looks like to be a Christ follower. And he gets to chapter four, and now he's dealing with practical issues. And the first one in verse one, he says, keep going no matter what. Philippians chapter four, everybody there? Philippians chapter four, verse one. He says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And we talked a few weeks back. Keep going no matter what. Keep going. Stand firm no matter what. And then last week we looked at uh, live in true unity no matter what. Verses 2 and 3. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored by my side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We talked true unity is getting past whatever gets us sideways with each other in order to have the unity so that Christ is honored and glorified and we're walking in step with him. And now in verses 4 to 7, we find this instruction. Live in God's peace no matter what. Live in God's peace. And, and here he's talking about internal peace. In verses 2 and 3, he's talking about external peace with other people. And now he addresses this whole idea of anxiety or worry. No matter what. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice, there's, in counseling people, one of the rules of counseling is to help people to uh, avoid using all or nothing terminology. Black and white kind of thinking. And so 
You know, if there's a couple of people talking and one of them says, you know, you always leave the garbage for me. Don't you, you never take out the garbage. And, and we say, don't use that because it's just not true and it's inflammatory and there's a whole. And yet four or five times in these few verses, he uses all or nothing language. Look what he says. Rejoice in the Lord. And if you take notes in your Bible, you might want to circle these, highlight them. Rejoice in the Lord. What's the next word? Always. Always. That's all or nothing. Without exception. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's all or nothing. Not some people, not most people, everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. There you go. No exceptions. But in everything, every circumstance, every situation, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And now, here's the implied all or nothing language. The peace of God will guard without exception, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, without exception. What he's talking here is about what we usually refer to as worry, worry. And sometimes you talk to Christians, they say, you know, I don't worry, I'm just concerned. That's Christianese for worry or anxiety. Several weeks ago, I, I don't know if, did, did I tell you guys that I have grandkids now? I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> and one of them owes me a cake, yes. I took my seven-year-old grandson Brody to a Wild Things, uh, Washington Wild Things game, baseball team, that minor league baseball team. So we went on a Sunday afternoon, and, and, we, and so I picked him up at, at his house and as he's grabbing his stuff to go, he's saying, Grandpa, I want a foul ball. I want to get a foul ball. Do you think I'll be able to get a foul ball? In my mind, I'm going, there's not a chance anywhere because I'm old and I've been going to baseball games for decades and I have never gotten a foul ball. So what are the chances of you getting a foul But I don't say all that. I'll go, well, there's a chance. <laughs> okay, I got my glove. Okay, we'll put it in your backpack till we get to the game. He get, gets in, and, and along the way, every once in a while, we go, Grandpa, do you think I'll get a foul ball? you think I'll get a foul ball? We got to the game. We walked in, and, and we're having a good time. And we take him into the little store there to get a souvenir of our time together. And, and he's going, get a little bad. you think I'll get a foul ball? And he saw some little balls. Do you think I'll be able to get a foul ball? I don't know, Brody. So we get to our seats, and I bought... You know, you can be, uh, you can look like you're something at a Washington Wild Things game because it only costs $15 to sit right beside, behind home plate. Go to PNC Park and you have to mortgage your house. So we're sitting there and, and he looks around and he goes, do you think I'll be able to get a foul ball from here? And I'm going, the net's here. And I'm going, oh, I don't think so. We get a couple innings into the game and, and he looks at me and he goes, Grandpa, I think... And he points down um, the third baseline. I think that's the spot where you can get a foul ball. He's sitting there scouting it out. And he's watching the foul balls. And instead of watching the game, he's focused on getting a foul. How can I position myself best to get a foul ball? 
And he's, and he, okay. So we got up from our expensive seats and we walked down to the standing room only area where there's a, there are picnic tables and people and, and a whole bunch of other kids are doing the same thing. So we're down there and we're waiting and he keeps looking at me. Do you think they're going to, you know, think foul ball is going to come here? I think I am. I'm going, Brody, this is supposed to be a special time with grandpa. I don't say this out loud. And all you can think is about a foul ball. If I were a foul ball, you would love me. <laughs> and so we're sitting there. I got him a pretzel to eat and, and he comes over, picks at it. And then he goes down where all the other kids are. And about two innings later, a crack of the bat from home plate, and it's coming, and he sees it. He sees it, and he's following it, and that ball comes right behind, and it hits the base of one of the light poles, spot on, and it goes straight up in the air, and he's already on his way to where that foul ball was. It bounces, and it hits the sidewalk, and it starts to roll. He flies over there, and he gets it a split second before another kid gets there. He got a foul ball. And I'm looking at him going, all my life I've wanted a foul ball. And now at seven years old, you've reached the epitome of going to baseball games. What's in your future now? You got nothing to look forward to. <laughs> so he came over, we took pictures of it, and there's all these little kids that are jealous of him. And, and then finally, after we got the foul ball, I said, can we now go back to our seats now? And <laughs> watch the game. Yeah, okay, we can. And so we did, and he was able to relax, we put it in his backpack so that he would have it, and we watched the game. He went home. First thing out of his mouth when he got there, right? Anybody want to guess? I got a foul ball. And his parents go, seriously? They had the same idea that I had. He got, he got a foul ball. Now, I tell you that story because what Brody was doing is a good picture of what worry is. It's an obsession about something that you really have very little power over in order to do anything about. Now, there, and, and, and worry is insidious because it also, there's an aspect of things that we need to be concerned about, that we need to take care of, but then it's the obsessiveness that causes us to give in to that which God tells us not to. So I want to use that as a picture. Go back to our scripture. Um, overcoming worry then is a big deal with God. So keep your finger in Philippians chapter 4 and go over to the Gospels to Matthew chapter 6. The instruction not to worry is a big deal with God. We see it in Jesus' ministry, so we pick up in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' manifesto, which means it's really big, and he gives way more verses to this particular topic here in Matthew chapter 6 than he does to lying and adultery and um, anger and fighting. He, it's worry. He gives a lot of, of words to this idea because worry, overcoming worry, is huge for God. And we'll see um, more deeply wh why in just a moment. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25, says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. 
So anxiety, worry, same thing. Do not worry. Do not be anxious about your life. Don't be obsessed like Brody was about getting a foul ball about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And it's because in that day, most people lived day to day. As day laborers, if you didn't get a job one day, you may not eat. And so just the basic necessities was a big deal for them. He says, is, is, life not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says, look at all the things out there. Are you of not more value and yet of all the things that God takes care of? And which of you, here's a reality check, he says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? How much of Brody's obsessiveness of it, can I get a foul ball? Am I going to get a foul ball? Did any of that play into getting a foul ball? No. The action of going down to making yourself available to where a foul ball might be was. That's a concern. It was all of this obsessiveness that was the worry. And which of you, by, ang by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. No matter how hard you work, no matter how, how expensive the clothes that you have and, and that you pursue, you know, it won't even compare to what God does. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And here's the, here, here it is. Oh, you of little faith. Worry is a big deal because worry is the opposite of faith. Worry is the opposite of trust. And we can only be aligned and intimate with God when we trust him. So worry is the tool of the devil to get us out of sync with God. To eliminate our ability to trust him. Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, he says... You can't out an hour, you can't help you, you know, worry does nothing. Do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the Gentiles, those who don't know God, the Gentiles seek after these things. To worry is to act like you have no God. Did you get that? When we give in to worry... We are acting like we don't have a God. They seek after those things. And your father knows that you need them. He knows. It's not like he's asleep. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put your effort and energy in looking after God. That's what fasting and prayer is about. That's what the prayer gathering is about. That's what having the daily time with God when we're doing the loyalty lessons. That's seeking after God. Seek after Him. Make Him your priority. And then these other things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If we don't look like the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, then we're worrying. 
They don't toil. They don't, you know, they do what the Father's created them to do. That's our concern. So if Brody had not pointed out that we need to go down by the third baseline, and then if we had not gone down by the third light baseline, and if we had not been paying attention, he would have not gotten the foul ball. So there is effort. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the thousands of times I had to listen to the question, Grandpa, do you think I'm going to get a foul ball? Grandpa, I want a foul ball. I want a foul ball. I want a foul ball. That's what he's talking about. It's the anxiety. It's the worry. It's the concern. If we do not look like the birds of the air, then we have no true God. We're like the Gentiles who are godless. So let's talk about it. It'll only take us three or four hours. Worry. Worry is sin. Worry is sin. Did you know that? Because the multiple times it says, do not be anxious, that's a command. To disobey a command of God is sin. So when we worry or when we choose to be anxious, we are sinning. And then, you know, so I, sometimes I talk with people and they go, well, you know, you know, I'm just a worrier. I can't do anything about that. That's an excuse. And it's a lie. And we need to stop making excuses. Because it is sin. It's disobedience. It's not just our nature. And it doesn't matter if we even understand what we're trusting God with. Um, and so, worry is a sin. So, stop it. That's what, that's what he's saying. Worry is also fear. Worry is fear. Worry, for Brody, was fear that he wouldn't get a ball. Right? So it was fear. Anxiety is rooted in fear. It's an angst about possible danger or misfortune or something that we won't get. It's that angst. It's moving from being concerned about a situation to fear about that situation. And there are a whole lot, so it's, it's fear. Sin, fear, it's also arrogance. It's arrogance. It's being so proud to think that if I have angst in my life and I give myself that angst that it's going to do any good and God doesn't understand and he's not on the clock right now, so I got to take charge. Worry is being arrogant. It's putting ourselves above God. It's also a signal. Worry is a signal to take it to God. Worry is not something to stay and to land on, but rather to take as a cue. And, we'll, and that's what he talks about in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 4. Worry is only overcome through trust. So it's on the spectrum. You're, you know, worry is on one end, trust is on the other. Trust is the antidote to worry. There's no magic wand. And in those things that are, uh, that most get us anxious, it's really hard work. It's just hard work. There's no magic wand. And then, I don't think I put this in yours. I, I put a blank one, and then um, as I was preparing this morning, this came to me. You'll have to write it in. Worry is harmful and sad because it's a wall that separates us from God. It's not, worry, worry is not neutral. If you're worrying, 
you are on a trajectory away from God. That makes it sad. And it makes God sad. Because as our loving Heavenly Father, He wants us to experience joy. In the Matthew 25 passage and in the Philippians 4 passage, what we hear is God saying over and over ago, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not worry. And there could be a tendency to think of that as God having his finger in our face, scolding us and telling us we need to do something different. And nothing could be further from the truth. Because as, G, as Jesus describes it in Matthew 20, or in Matthew, yeah, not Matthew 25, Matthew 6, 25 and, and following, it's you, your heavenly Father knows that you need these and he will provide. And so it's, it's your heavenly Father saying, come, come, come with me, just be with me. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Trust me with this. Trust me with this. If you uh, read the um, scripture reading from our list today in Matthew or in Proverbs chapter twelve twenty five was this scripture: Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. It's sad. It just it just it'll kill you, right? Worry can kill you, but a good word makes him glad. That's the word of God. The good word will make him glad. All right, so let's talk about some choices then from Philippians chapter four that will move us from upside down worry. That's the culture. So we live in an upside down world. So choices that will move us from living like this world that's upside down to living right side up in God's economy with a confident trust. Number one, and, and by the way, have, have you ever you know, had somebody tell you when you were wearing, just stop it other than me? How, how well did that work? It doesn't work, right? There's no easy way. It's not, you just can't stop. What you can do is replace worry with trust. That's what we're talking about. These choices. Number one, delight in the Lord always. Delight in the Lord always. Philippians chapter four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And he's been talking in in the first three chapters of Philippians over and over again about rejoicing. Rejoicing, that is choosing confident trust. Choosing, uh, rejoice is really about um, the sense of well-being because I'm confident in God. And so I'm choosing to delight. It's, that's another word of using it. So I put a bullet point there. It's this delight when it's where your mind and your heart naturally drifts. Those things that you delight in, your, your mind just kind of goes there, right? When you're laying in bed at night, the things that you, and so, yeah, I told you we have grandkids now, right? Yeah, so um, seven years ago before Brody was born, he was, he's the, he was the first grandkid, um, we would pray for him and think about him. And then when he was born and you immediately fall in love with the kid and our mind, you know, I, I, my mind just drifted. Because I was delighting in him. I was delighting in him. And then um, our daughter would say, you know, I know this is probably a lot to ask, but could you and mom watch Brody? 
um, tomorrow. And I, I've never been able to convince her. Yes! Amen. All you have to do is ask. We, because we love to be with those that we delight in. We love being with them. So you know, th- that's what delight is. When you are drifting off at night, does your mind move to the Lord? When you are facing a difficult situation, do you naturally tend towards God? That's what it means to rejoice. I am taking my joy and my delight in God. That only comes by practice. And the best practice I know of is when you are fasting and you're praying the fasting prayer, Lord, I love you more than food. Do whatever you want in my life. Because it builds this habit. It builds this practice. It builds this, these repetitions of turning to God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. In every situation, in every circumstance. Delight in God. Turn your thoughts to Him. Oswald Chamber, in our utmost, well, my utmost for his highest, we call it ours because I'm cantankerous. <laughs> June 2nd, not July 2nd, but June 2nd, he talked about this. He says, are you obsessed by something? There you go. Obsessed sounds like a bad word. But when you're talking about being delighted in God, that's obsession. He says, are you obsessed by something? You'll probably say no, but all of us are obsessed by something, usually by ourselves or if we are Christians, by our own experience of the Christian life. But the psalmist says that we are to be obsessed by God. The abiding awareness of the Christian life is to be, is to be God himself, not just thoughts about him, but who he is. The total being of our life inside and out is to be absolutely obsessed by the presence of God. A child's, like a child's awareness that is so absorbed in his mother that though he is not consciously thinking of her, when a problem arises, the abiding relationship in, the, in that mother causes him to cry out, Mommy. That's what we're talking about. On one side, it's, it's worry. That's an obsession. On the other side, rejoicing in Christ is, is an obsession. It's what we gravitate to. It's what we delight in. If we are obsessed by God, he goes on to say, nothing else can get into our lives. Not concerns, nor tribulation, nor worries. And now we understand why our Lord so emphasized the sin of worrying. How can we dare to be so absolutely unbelieving when God totally surrounds us? To be obsessed by God is to have an effective barricade against all the assaults of the enemy. Let me read that last sentence again. To be so obsessed... Rejoicing in the Lord always is to have an effective barricade against all the assaults of the enemy. Rejoice in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord always. Number two, glow with a calm, confident demeanor. And I was kind of taken aback because um, what he's describing here in verse 5, Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, let your reasonableness could also be translated your... um, your gentleness, your peaceableness, um, your forbearing of other people, your patience with other people, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Um, And it's one thing to have that demeanor, but here he turns it into a command. 
a choice that we have. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. We have this choice of being gracious and forbearing and gentle as opposed to being grumpy and irritable and short with people. That makes people feel less than instead of greater than. And this really caught my attention because how really what he's talking about is being so aligned with Christ that there's a glow of his presence that just kind of oozes out of you because you're so trusting in him that when problems come and difficulties come, instead of you getting in the middle of worrying about it, you just have this, this confidence and you, you go and almost as if people are going to look at you, aren't you worried about this? And the answer is no, because God's got it, right? God's got it. So it's this glow. It reminded me, so I'm going to, I hope I don't embarrass you, but I'm going to talk about you. <laughs> Thursday, Val walked into learning community. She had her baptism t-shirt on. And as she walked in, there was a glow. And I go, Val, how are you doing? And everybody looks up because she's running a little bit late. And she, they see, oh, nice t-shirt. And she said, I've just been on this high ever since baptism. Because remember, I talk about God's presence when we obey him. And, and, and she was gl almost glowing, even though she said, but then today I had some stuff with my daughter and it kind of stole it away. And as I looked at her, I'm going, I don't think it stole it because you're still, there's still, there's a, that's what we're talking about. That people should notice the presence of God flowing through us. And he says, we have responsibility for that. By, uh, by the first, by verse four is rejoicing in the Lord. When we rejoice in the Lord always, then there's this glow of a confidence that is hand. And part of it comes in the last, in the last part of the voice, the, the Lord is at hand. It doesn't just mean that he's near. It means that we're going to meet him sometime soon. Because life is short. And I don't care if you live another 50 years. That's just a drop in the bucket when it comes to eternity. Amen. And so he says, what do you have to worry about? What do you have to be concerned about if you're going to meet Jesus soon? A lot of things fade away. You know, just, well, think about that for a minute. Just think, if, you were going, if Jesus was going to come back tomorrow, how much of the stuff that we're concerned with would immediately fly off the table? Right? I mean, <laughs> pretty much everything. We just go home, throw a party, eat some popcorn, and wait. Because <laughs> nothing else matters anymore. So if we have that kind of perspective, Jesus is coming soon. What do we got to worry about? Nothing. But what we do is do what we're supposed to do. We obey. So you can't get the foul ball unless you walk down where the foul ball is going to be, and you wait and you run after it. But you don't have to obsess over it. Number three. Habitually give your concerns to God. Habitually, as a lifestyle, give your concerns to God. And he gives us a formula for that. Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. And I, and I love it because he doesn't just say stop it. He says, here's how to not be anxious. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything. It's a command. It's a command. So to be anxious is a sin. It's based in fear. It's arrogant. And we need to hold each other accountable. Because we all will start worrying and obsessing about things at, at some times. And at that point, we need to put our arm around one another and say, okay, we need to go back to the formula. Let's do it together. Do not be anxious about anything. It's a choice. It's a command. It's not a good idea. It's not a suggestion. It's not, you know, a, an Instagram post. It's a command from the Word of God. Do not be anxious about anything. Um, somebody said, worry is a conversation you have with yourself about things you cannot change. Prayer is a conversation you have with God about things He can change. Amen. So stop talking to yourself. <laughs> Here we go. In everything, everything, that's that black and white. God doesn't let us off the hook. Every situation, every circumstance, every relationship, every temptation, every uncertainty, everything in our lives. Here it is, in everything. As soon as you hit one of those, in everything, here's what you do. Um, by prayer, prayer, and you, this is where you might want to take notes, because he's very um, specific. By prayer, that's conversation with God. The word he uses there is an ongoing conversation with God. It's an ongoing interaction with God that comes out of relationship of growing intimacy and alignment. And so when you're going to bed at night, Lord, thank you for this day. When you, when you wake up in the morning, Lord, I give this day to you. Knees and nudges. It's just this ongoing conversation about what's happening. And then, and supplication. Supplication are urgent requests. So in the constant conversation, as just as you're going through your day, you're talking with God. And then when something comes up that's of, a, of great importance, you pause and you talk to him about that because there's an urgent request. So by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is kind of the soil in which you're growing the conversation with God and the urgent request. And so we're... At, as, we're, as we hit those requests, we're going, God, you've been so good. I know you're so good. You're always good to us. Thank you for all the stuff that you've been doing. And, and now I got this. It's recognizing that God really is on the throne, that he really is working, and that he really wants to hear us. And then he says, make your request be made known. Let your request be made known to God. So give those things to God. Whatever's happening in your life, give those things to God. It's a pretty simple formula, but it's hard to break the habit from, Grandpa, do you think I'll get a foul ball? I need a foul ball. I want a foul ball. I want a foul ball. Two, Grandpa, I'm so glad that we're together. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be fun. Can we go down by the third baseline and wait for a foul ball? See the difference? That's what God wants for us. but he doesn't guarantee results that we want. Amen. You see the last part? Let your request be made known to God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, you have a loving Heavenly Father who will take care of things. He knows that you need them, and he'll provide what you need. 
We make the mistake of thinking, if I do all of this, I will get what I want. Here it is. If we do all of this, God will give us what we need. That's the difference. And the biggest thing that we need brings us to number four. Lean into this perplexing supernatural peace. Here's how it's described. Verse 7, Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. The peace of God, in some translations, transcends all understanding. The peace of God that surpasses, that transcends all understanding, means you can't understand it with your mind. You will never grasp it with your intellect. John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do not be afraid. Do not be, af- do not be afraid. My peace. It's a peace. It's a sense of well-being. It's a sense of God's presence in the midst of the storm. It doesn't mean the storm goes away. Sometimes the storm gets worse. Because God is doing things that we don't even realize. We don't even know that he's working on. But the absolute language, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's no caveats. There's no exceptions. It's guaranteed. So when God tells us not to worry, he's not scolding us. He's inviting us to have a supernatural peace that transcends all understanding. There was a moment when I was in high school when my dad was giving me all kinds of fits. And I was, it was just wrecking me in so many different ways. And and so I got up early before school and I was reading the Bible and I came to John 14, 27. My peace I give to you, not as the world. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And in that moment, it was like the Holy Spirit just kind of descended and took away a lot of the anxiety. And, and the, what I sensed was, trust me. It didn't change anything in the circumstances, but it changed everything in here. And that's what God wants for all of us. This is without exception. The result that we should look for is the peace that transcends understanding. So, peace is not the target that you shoot for. Peace is the byproduct that you receive when you follow this formula. And then notice he says, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that he gives to us will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, what do guards do? They protect whatever they're guarding from outside forces who are trying to get in to to steal or destroy. And so when he says the peace, that's what he's saying. My peace, my presence will guard all of the enemy's attacks and all of the circumstances in this life from overwhelming you with, with things that you can't trust me with. My peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But you've got to stay inside his peace. Would you bow your heads? I 
one of the first steps for us to experiencing God's peace is to stop lying to ourselves that we're not really worrying. If there's stuff circling around your heart and your mind, like, I want a foul ball, I gotta get a foul ball, I gotta get a foul ball. If there's stuff that's circling like that, you're worrying, you're anxious. And your Heavenly Father wants to put His arm around you and say, let me have that. And the way you do that is to follow this formula. I would encourage you to take this scripture passage, put it in your Bible along with the fasting insert, and, let, and, and just practice that. Go through those steps. Every time you get anxious, go through those steps. Every time you're tempted to worry about something, every time you think it's, circumstances are going to overwhelm you, you're not going to be able to survive, because they're going to come. And God wants to walk you through them so next time you're stronger against them. It's all a part of his plan of developing you to be experiencing him more than you ever imagined. So in this moment, just in the quietness, would you say, Lord, I give myself to you. I want to follow your path to peace. So do whatever it takes to get me into practicing this habit. I surrender myself to you. Lord, I pray that you would honor those prayers and that you would lead us step by step into experiencing all that you have in mind. Lord, I pray for each one of these folks, God, that they would experience your peace this week. Every time they face something that threatens to get them anxious, God, lead them back to this. And as a result, lead them back to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.